And oh shit, are we recording? What's up? This is the Fuck the Status Quo podcast. I am your host, Ellie Blake, and this is a place where we discuss getting your shit together. Why? Because the more people on the planet getting their shit together and being the best version of themselves means the less assholes there are. I'm down for that. Are you down for that? All right, let's go. What's up, Stephanie? Welcome back. We're talking shit again today. How you doing? (laughs) Hey, Allie. Excited to talk shit once again. What's up? (laughs) All right. So today's going to be, I guess it's kind of heavy, but it is what it is. That's reality. We're going to be talking shit about the American criminal justice system Mm -hmm. and how fucked up it is. (laughs) Oh, yeah. There's going to be so, so much recovering and you might need to like go out for a walk or move around or something after, after yeah go outside and get some sunshine after this we do our best to put all of our sources in here guys so we're not just like pulling shit out of our ass you can google it we'll share some of it in the show notes and try to just be aware of that throughout the episode but yeah stephanie like what's your experience been with the fucked up system the fucked up system <laughs> Dude, your cats are already fighting in the background. Okay, I know, I know. They're they're locked in here with me, so I'm they're sure ready they're to go. All right. Anyways, I'm sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Honestly, you know, just on my own experience as a kid and a teenager, you know, I didn't really have opinions about the justice system because it never really applied to me until I became a mother. My son, who he's 13 years old now, he is on the autism spectrum, for those of you who don't know about him. And when he was about five years old, he was actually abused in a home daycare that he was going to. And before I go into just that story, I just want to just state a couple of facts, just so you guys are aware of really like how often this can happen to children. So a report of child abuse is made every 10 seconds in the United States in 2017. And when I was doing research on this, I couldn't find a statistic any more recent than that. So I don't Mm -hmm. know if they haven't just like done research on this since then. But in 2017, it was discovered that over 2,200 child care providers were abusing or neglecting children in their care. And on top of that, children with disabilities are nearly four times more likely to be physically abused or neglected and more than three times more likely to be sexually abused when compared to children without disabilities. So just keep that in mind because it's fucked up at being a sole purpose coach. Like this is exactly one of the reasons why it's so important for people to be doing what they're passionate about, to be doing what they love, what lights them up, what they care about, because when you put people in jobs, especially with With children, children that are vulnerable, it's not safe for anyone. I don't even know, where do I begin with Derek's story? So he was five years old. I mean, and, and at the time, he was, for the most part, nonverbal. And what nonverbal means is he was unable to communicate through words, through speech, through speaking. And when it came to actually communicating with him, you know, I couldn't say, like, how was your day? And he wouldn't be able to, like, sign language and, and answer me. Like, um, just having back and forth conversations, answering questions in the correct, appropriate way. He didn't have that skill yet. 
And at this time, he was still potty training as well. It was a Wednesday. And on Wednesdays in his school, they were half days. He would get early release. And my boyfriend would pick him up off the bus. And that's what he did on this day. He brought him upstairs to our apartment to see if he had used the bathroom because Derek, you know, is unable at the time to communicate if he needs to go to the bathroom or not. So it was just kind of a thing of just have him go every once in a while. Yeah. Just take him and see if he goes. So he went to the bathroom at school. He attempted to go to the bathroom at home, but he didn't have to go. So then my boyfriend at the time drove him to the daycare where he was for the rest of the day until I picked him up. And he said to the daycare, it was actually just the assistant that was present at the time that my son was dropped off. He said to her, like, you know, I took him to the bathroom. He didn't go. So he'll probably have to go, you know, sometime soon. Yeah. And she's like, okay, no problem. A little backstory about this home daycare. It was provided by the state. I was getting assistance from the state to pay for daycare because daycare is ridiculous. And being a single mom of a special needs child, it's even harder to find proper care and to be able to afford it. And I found this daycare and it was a woman. She was very nice. She had a daughter. She had kids of her own. And it was a very small daycare at that point. It was in February of the school year when he started going. And as the summer came around, she just got busier because more kids were coming, you know, out of school and she had to hire an assistant. So I was never formally introduced to the assistant. I just kind of noticed her one day when I was picking up my son and she was just the type of person to where, you know, like, especially if you're working with kids or if you're at your job, you kind of want to put on like your customer voice or just like yeah. this fake happiness, right? Everybody's well, voice goes up a little bit. Oh, higher. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, she didn't do that. She would act miserable. She would act like, don't make me chase you up those stairs, like saying shit like that, like just acting like she was not happy to be there. Yeah. And I was completely against, I was very non-confrontational back then. And I, you know, didn't really follow my intuition. I didn't really listen when I had gut feelings about things and I kind of just brushed it off. And that's how I felt about this assistant. I brushed it off and was like, oh, like whatever. I, you know, I'm not about to go look for another daycare. Like I don't have time for that. I work, I work full time running around. So I just kind of left it. And then that day, that Wednesday, I get a text message from the owner of the daycare saying, you know, I think Derek has some marks on him. It may be from a hit or a fall. I'm not sure. I just wanted to let you know, like, did something happen at the school earlier that day? And she usually would text me about like Derek having bruises on his legs and things like that. But mm -hmm. he's a rough kid. He runs around. He has meltdowns where he kind of self injures himself. So red flags didn't immediately come up because I was like, oh, sure. like, you know, I'll take a look, whatever. Yeah. I go to pick him up and it's just the assistant there again. The owner isn't there. And she's a completely different person now. Now she's this sweet angel all of a sudden. And she's like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. I felt so, she didn't say I'm sorry. I apologize. She's like, I, I, I just felt so bad when I saw the marks on him. I wanted to cry. And I was like, is it that bad? And she was like, yeah. So I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll go home. I'll take a look. Cause I wasn't about to like pull his pants down like right then and there, but it was right. like on his butt where these marks were claimed. Yeah. And so I get in my car and then she kind of runs out and she's like, oh, wait. And then she's like, I forgot to tell you, like he had an accident. 
and she hands me the bag of clothes that he previously came to the daycare in. And in that moment, she gave me this, like, I don't know, the, the exchange, like the look that she gave me, like at the moment, I didn't know what it was, but now that I know what I know, it was like, obviously fucking guilt. And I assumed because he was only having pooping like accidents then. So mm-hmm. I assumed that he, you know, it was a pooping accident and I went home and I opened the bag and it was pee. And so I'm like, oh, well, that's weird. Like he hasn't had like a peeing accident in a long time for a sign of neglect. So then I looked at him and he had welts like bright as ever from his lower back all the way down to like his upper thighs. And it was like just slashes. Um, And I didn't know what to do. I was like, obviously something happened. Like, what do I do? So I just just went to the emergency room. I'm like, hey, can a doctor like verify like this isn't a rash, that this is like form of abuse. And he did. He said it was like with an object, maybe a cord, maybe a belt, something along those lines. And DCFS got involved. And because my boyfriend at the time who was living with me, you know, was one of those people that interacted with him throughout the day, my son couldn't come home until DCFS had cleared our home. And in the meantime, the detective that was put on the case went to the home, interviewed the owner, and then on a different day, interviewed the assistant. And both of them had conflicting stories. And what really caught them up was how they answered the question, what did Derek eat that day? And the owner was just going by. She has like a, a, a schedule of like, okay, Mondays we have pizza, Tuesdays we have, you know, this. Yeah. So she was just going by what the, the lunch schedule was, whereas the assistant was going by what she actually cooked him that day. So we believe that the owner lied about the amount of time that she was out of her home while the kids were at her daycare because she can only leave the assistant unattended for about a half hour tops, mm-hmm. And the detective thinks that she was maybe gone from her house about three hours or if not more. Yeah. And granted, she wasn't there at noon, 1230 when Derek got dropped off. And she also wasn't there when I got there about 536 o'clock. So, so it was just her and like the assistant that worked there. There weren't any other. Correct. Okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So at that point, They were like, well, we're going to try to have them come in and do lie detector tests. DCFS came to my home and the assistant, after she was asked to take a lie detector test, she lawyered up and then she pled the fifth. So for people that don't know what that means, to plead the fifth means you have the right to not answer police questions, both while in custody or in court. So she was like, I'm not taking a lie detector test. Like, I'm going to plead the fifth. I'm not talking anymore. And because of that, the state had to drop the case because you have somebody who is being accused of the abuse who is pleading the fifth. And then you have the victim who was abused, who can't tell the side of the story, who can't Mm -hmm. point a finger and say, this is the woman that hit me. So the state dropped the case. And then I tried to even like get a lawyer to see if like maybe we could sue the daycare. The daycare had already been shut down at this point because of the situation. Like the state didn't even know that this assistant was working in this daycare because she had a record. She oh. had like, yeah, just like paraphernalia. She had some theft. She had like driving without insurance. So she had all of these different things on her record. So 
the owner never reported that she had this assistant working for her. So her daycare got shut down and this assistant, all that happened to her was she obviously lost her job at the daycare because it was no longer there, mm-hmm. but then nothing happened to her after that. She was able to go find another job, you know, continue to live her life after she not only ruined my son's life, not, I don't want to say ruined his life, but traumatized him. Yeah. And then also ruined this woman who is a single mom, you know, just trying to run her own daycare. That messed her up too. She had to end up selling her house and doing all these things. Regardless, she didn't take the proper steps right. that it takes to own a daycare, but in the end, she wasn't the one that was abusing my child. Yeah. I hate to say that, like, I'm not surprised, but I mean, in a sense that I I am, because you just think, you know, like we hold children up on like such this pedestal, like the speeding limit by schools. And just if you're in prison and you abused a child, like they, you're going to get fucked up, you know, and just mm-hmm. to see that like your child was clearly abused and literally nothing happened about it. How does this happen? especially in this country. And, you know, just like uh, how you were saying earlier about that statistic about um, back in 2017, you said, you know, I hate to say it, but those numbers are probably even bigger now. I don't Mm -hmm. think that it's gotten any better or the problem has gotten better. You know what I mean? So we're just getting into it. I'm like, there's a lot of just stuff (laughs) where when you, when you sit there and think about it, it's like, you have to, like you said, after this episode, like, Go fucking take a walk because this shit is heavy and it sucks, but this is how it is. Real life. Yeah. Real life in America and, you know, this day and age. And what I find really fucking interesting is unlike the criminal legal system, families facing investigations by DCFS do not have the right to counsel or the right to remain silent. So any comments or lack of comments can be used against them when DCFS is involved. And according to research from Washington University in St. Louis, approximately one third of all children in the US will experience a child protective services investigation by the age of 18. And 53% approximately of all black children will experience an investigation by 18. Wow, it's just, it's sad to hear. And I mean, unfortunately like race is going to come up a lot in this episode because there is a a huge disparity and just things that aren't true that people, you know, I'll get into it later, but just like myth of, of like black on black crime and stuff like that. And, you know, when you really dive into it, so it's just sad. We're going to try to offer some (laughs) ways you can help at the end, you guys, but shit's fucked up. So Yeah, we we just felt it was really important to talk about this today. Absolutely. And I don't understand to where, obviously, DCFS was involved, where my son was abused. So DCFS looks at the family, and then they look at outside sources, right? So why is it that my son, who was the victim of abuse, I, as his mother, do not have the right to remain silent, but the abuser has the right to remain silent when it's proceeded in court? Yeah, like, who are we protecting here? Exactly, exactly. And just to kind of switch gears off of that story, there's so many things about laws that do not protect children. Like, for example, and I'm going to have to look up the documentary where I learned this, but, and you can Google this too, but child marriage, guess how many states in the US child marriage is legal in? Just guess. I hope like, Two. 
I mean, I hope zero, but I hope the number is like <laughs> less, is like less, like two maximum. Like you know, there's some wild states, I guess. Are you ready for this? I'm not sure. <laughs> Forty-three. 43 states. Child marriage is currently legal in 43 states. Only Delaware, Massachusetts, Minnesota. That one's hard to say. Sorry. Massachusetts, Minnesota, (laughs) New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, and Rhode Island have set the minimum at age 18 and eliminated all exceptions. And there's 20 U.S. states that do not require any minimum age for marriage with a parental or judicial waiver. Okay, so your parents have to sign, but still, what? And sometimes parents do. What about if it's like a 14-year-old and like a 50-year-old? Like that's allowed or is there like some sort of... So if you check out the documentary on Hulu, it's called I Was a Child Bride, The Untold Story. Hulu? Yeah. That is where you will find situations where literally neglectful parents will give their kid off, you know, just so they no longer have the responsibility of them. And, you know, again, it goes back to neglect and abuse. And here we are. It's like the fact that I said every 10 seconds, a report of child abuse is made. And that's only the ones that are actually reported. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, there's no telling how many aren't reported. And just fucked up situations. You know, I'm sure it happens. Like I said, Way more than that statistic you had in 2017. Like, I, I can't imagine it's gotten any better. Yeah. Not saying all kids, but a lot of kids, especially when they're younger, like, they can't speak up for themselves. They don't know how to speak up for themselves. Like, they might have felt like they did something wrong. Yeah. And, you know, as a child, you think the adults are right. Like, who are right, you? Right. No matter what. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, the first step of this is awareness. Yeah. Um, because I, who knew? Child marriage, for example, is legal in 43 states. I didn't until, you know, I became aware of this. And don't worry, by the end of this and in the show notes, there are things that you can do, steps that you can take to make a difference regarding these. So hang tight. We will. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just hard to be like, you know, this is 2023 and this shit is still going on. Like, I would expect to read this in a history book of like, oh, this is what was going on in the 1800s. And it's like, this is still going on. Uh, It's got to change. It's fucked up. Yeah. So Ellie, I'd love to hear your experience or just your your thoughts on our our lovely show. Okay, so (laughs) this is your warning. I'm about to just like totally nerd out. (laughs) This is like, in college, I studied criminal psychology. That was my major. So I took a lot of classes, you know, obviously psychology, but I took a serial killers class, you know, theories of personality, just a lot of stuff getting into like the human mind. And actually, I don't know if I've ever told you this before, (laughs) but I used to like write to like murderers in prison. Oh my God, Ellie. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's a little weird. I don't do that anymore. But my whole thing with it was, you know, I was studying this in school. And I mean, I grew up like watching um, forensic files and stuff with my dad all the time. So I don't know. I, I never wanted to be like a crime scene investigator, but it was interesting in me in that like my main question was, can this be prevented? You know, was Jeffrey Dahmer, Ted Bundy, were they always going to do this no matter how they were raised, where they were raised, what circumstances, what happened to them? Like, Mm -hmm. could somebody have stepped in at some point? So that was kind of like 
why I was so fascinated by it. Because, you know, at the end of the day, I would say, you know, 99% of people just deserve a second chance. And I'm not talking about these fuck faces, but I'm saying like people make mistakes and we shouldn't be like judged on the worst mistake that we made. It's not who we are. Anyways, I wrote to these killers. I was... (laughs) I thought that maybe I could like get some insight from them and figure out oh, like, wow. what what went wrong. And I would always write them like the same question when I first started talking to them. I would just say like, what are we doing here? And would just try to get like their perspective on like why we're even on earth. Did they write um, you back? Most of them ignored me, but I did write to like several of them. And like one dude I wrote to for maybe like a year or two. And then he got real fucking creepy. I mean, shocker. And I just had to stop talking to him because he was like sending me letter, like eight page letters about how we knew each other in a past life. And he'd be like, I know you remember the white room and like all this crazy shit. He said, bro, he sent me a picture that he drew and it's like a dragon. And then it's like a flower that's clearly a vagina. And then there's like a thing in it that's like my little six inch friend George likes warm pink places. He sent me a Mother's Day card and was like, happy Mother's Day to the future mother of my children. So don't write to killers, you guys. Don't write to serial killers and axe murderers. I would not recommend it. (laughs) We interrupt this sweet ass podcast episode for a message from our sponsor. Hey bitches, it's me again. Are you tired of all the lame-ass greeting cards you see in the store? Would you rather send your loved one something that's fucking hilarious with cuss words and potentially insulting? Well, shit, you in the right place then. Head over to AsToldByEllie.com where you will find the best fucking greeting cards on the internet. And as a listener of this podcast, I got a discount code for you guys. Waffles will get you 15% off. Again, that's as told by Ellie.com, discount code waffles. And now back to the show. Anyways, I've studied this a lot in many ways that other people have not studied it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but like one of the big things that I like think about in college, what class was this? Oh, I don't remember what class it was, but I know it was like an upper level psychology class. And we had to do a presentation. I don't even remember the exact assignment, but I was like, I want to do this on false confessions. And everybody was like that, you know, even now, like, oh, that was a false confession. Like he didn't actually murder that person. Like he just confessed to it. Any normal person is going to sit there and be like, why the fuck would he do that? I did like a lot of research on it. I did this whole project and like presented it to the class and everything. I got an A. (laughs) A. But one of the main like cases that I talked about is the guys are called the Central Park Five and Netflix did a documentary on this in uh, 2019. It's called When They See Us. And my God, that it's really hard to watch. And I was rewatching it a little bit before we did this episode. And it's like, dude, 10 minutes in, you already just want to cry and like just jump in the screen and like save these boys. So like for anybody who doesn't know, just like a quick recap. In uh, 1989, this woman was jogging in in Central Park and she was like brutally raped and almost died. I think that I read somewhere that 75% of her blood was like lost in her body. So this person like raped her and left her and she was found like four hours later. 
Well, there was a bunch of kids in the park that night in Central Park, just kind of riding around, acting a fool, like wilding you know, out, wilding <laughs> out, as they said, wilding. What's wilding? <laughs> so they were wilding out in the park, you know, whatever, typical kid stuff. And somehow these five boys, you know, some of them which didn't even know each other, they all got accused for this rape, and they served time in prison and were there for. Uh, I think the Corey was in there the longest. I want to say like twelve years. You know, and it's just fucked up when you go watch it and you see just the way they're interrogated and, you know, they're young and they're supposed to, they're children, they're supposed to have their parents there. I mean, I know a decent amount about the case, but you also have to take into play like it's a Netflix show. So there is, I'm not saying that nothing's not true, but there is a little, there's an entertainment aspect there. Like we don't know the exact things that were said. I know that those boys were not treated correctly. They didn't feed them. They didn't let them sleep at all. Like they're scared. They don't know where their parents are. Like imagine being like 14 years old and all of a sudden you're just like arrested by the police and then they're yelling at you in your face about like this lady that got raped. And not only that, but like feeding you information of like, they were saying who was holding her down. It was this person, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was this person. And, like, and they, you don't know your rights when you're a kid. I mean, like, yeah. like people don't even really know their rights as adults unless you experience it or, or watch a story like this. Yeah, you really don't. I mean, I probably shouldn't even share this, but whatever. I got <laughs> I got arrested when I was like 15 or 16. I stole a Playboy bunny hat. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing I didn't even steal it I like recognized that people in the store were watching me and I was like oh, I'm not gonna do this but I had already removed the sensor I put the hat back it's like an outdoor mall like four hours later my brother calls me and he's like hey this guy uh, wants to talk to you at Starbucks and I'm like I didn't know what the fuck it was I was like oh okay so I go back to Starbucks and it's like the owner of that store or manager or whatever and I was like oh shit I knew I was in trouble But he was like, just come back to the store with me and pay for the hat and I won't press charges. And I'm like, okay, like, I don't know any better. I don't want to. I'm like, all right, whatever. I go back to the store. They put me in shackles, dude. Oh, my God. They put me in shackles and I got arrested. And I was like, you didn't even take the hat? No, I didn't even steal it. And they were like, you removed the sensor. It's like, it counts as the same thing. And I mean, yes, what I did was wrong. I get that. But also, like, I didn't know any better. I could have told him to fuck off. You know, I had already left the property or, you know, and he told me to come back and I believed him because he was an adult and I went back and whatever, you know, I'm not saying I didn't deserve what I got, but like, I didn't know any better. And, you know, it's different because I was guilty. Like I did do that, but it's just an example of just how they can adults or especially like a police officer can coerce you to say something and do something just because you like, they repeatedly said over and over, like, I just want to go home. And so mm-hmm. they're thinking like, all right, you know, imagine you're hungry, you're tired, you've been there for like hours and hours. They're like, you did it right. At some point, a lot of people are, are going to break and be like, yeah, fuck it. Can I go home now? Sure, I did it. What do you need me to sign? Like, let's go. And that's exactly what happened to these boys. And the fucked up part about it, too, is like, you think that the justice system is going to handle it. Like, everybody thinks, okay. The truth is going to come out. The right thing is going to happen. Like, this is horrible that we have to go through this, but like the truth will come out. And unfortunately, it doesn't. I mean, let's talk about exonerations. Before we move on to that, I just want to add to the DCFS conversation, because that's what you're told, right? You're told if you notice or suspect neglect, abuse, you call DCFS. 
And then the person that calls DCFS kind of doesn't know what happens with the case after that. And then they just assume that the right things are going to happen and take place. And then the child will be okay, which mm-hmm. is really, really not the case at all. It's yeah. you think that the justice system is going to do the right thing and it doesn't end up happening. They, yeah. they want kids with their parents. So even if there is neglect, most likely the parents will eventually end up back with their children. Yeah. Which, you know, like you said, of course you want children to be with their parents, but I mean, some people just aren't fit for parenting mm-hmm. and that, that's just the facts, but ugh, it's so upsetting. I'm like, I need to take a breather for a second. No, I'm good. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I was going to talk about exonerations a little bit. So an exoneration is when you're proven innocent of a crime, like legally proven innocent. So the University of Michigan, they have this whole study. I'm going to put it in the show notes. And it's race and wrongful convictions in the United States. It's a report from 2022. So they have in there, I mean, you you can Google this anywhere. One to 3% of prosecuted people are innocent. Wow. So at least like one in 100 people who are convicted of a crime are completely innocent of of that crime. You know? Mm -hmm. I mean... Mm -hmm. That's crazy to me. How is it that off? It should be, I mean, ideally never, but yeah, it's still one <laughs> percent. Like, what and the then, fuck? So, do we know out of like what states have the death penalty of that percentage? Oh, I know. I've read about this. Um, I'm curious. No, because even that, like, regardless, it's fucked. But it's a lot. I remember the death penalty on top of it. Yeah, I want to say so. I know, like. I don't want to say the wrong date. I'm pretty sure that there's like over a hundred people that have been proven innocent after they were executed. Oh my God. And I know that there's a lot of people like you can go to, there's a lot of websites about this where you can go and find the statistics of just like how many people have gotten off of death row like days before they, they were going to be executed. Right. Like, can oh. you imagine? So fucked up. I mean, it's enough to be put in jail and even accused of a crime that you didn't commit and then to be killed for it. It's like, holy shit. When I was reading about like exonerations, like how long do you think stuff that people spend on average, like in jail or prison before they're exonerated? Like if they're innocent. Oh my gosh. If I were to guess 10, 12 years. Yeah. 11.6 years. Oh shit. It's (laughs) 11.6 years. And Holy the, shit. the average for black people is 16 years. And a lot of this has to do with like just the way the court process is, you know, like you only get a certain amount of appeals mm-hmm. and court cases and shit takes forever. They'll be like, yeah, we'll take a look at it again. And then it's like your court cases in two and a half years. It's like I'm sitting in a fucking jail cell and I didn't do anything. And now you're telling me like, it's cool. Just wait two and a half years. <laughs> Like, what the fuck? And I read this too. This is from the National Registry of Exonerations. 71% of women who are exonerated is for a crime that never even fucking happened. Like it was a suicide or it turned out to be like an accident or something like that. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. 71%. Why do you think that fact is? Like... Is it like, you know how you see on, what is that show, Lifetime or whatever, where it's like snapped and it talks about all these women like killing their husbands and everything. 
It's like, like, where does this come from? Like, why is it that 71% of women are exonerated for a crime that, that never happened? I mean, I think that we could tie this even all the way back to, uh, I think it was our religion and spirituality episode where you're like, women have been the most like persecuted. We were the first to be persecuted, I think is how you phrased it. Oh, fuck yeah. I mean, so I obviously like that still happens today. But I mean, at least from what I was reading, I can't speak on all 71% of these women and what their <laughs> cases were. But there's a lot of times like a baby will die of like SIDS or natural causes or something horrible and the mm. woman gets blamed for it or, you know, like suicides or maybe like saying an, just like an accident happened that never even happened. I'm like, this is crazy. How, this is crazy to me. Like, how do they not have the facts that, that a crime even happened? And I guess in some situations, it's like, it's hard. How can you? But that's the whole point of the whole process we go through with the jury and everything. Like, can you prove beyond a reasonable doubt, like that this person is guilty or innocent? So to me, like, if you can't bring all the facts to the table, then I don't know. I, I almost want to say I'd rather see like guilty people get away with it than innocent people having to serve in prison. I mean, obviously with violent crimes, like, fuck you guys. I hope you're all in prison. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. So I told you I was in school for this shit, too. And I know a lot of people like hate on Kim Kardashian for their own reasons. But I just want to say, like, I think that it's really cool that she's using her platform to get people out of prison. And she doesn't even work with like all innocent people. I think that a lot of people have that idea with her that she like works with the Innocence Project. But the woman, Alice Johnson, that was like the first like person that she got out of jail it was her first offense and she was sentenced to life. And all she was doing was like a single mom struggling and she was like answering phones to be like a kind of a middleman, just phones with like some drug enterprise. So she never even touched the drugs. Like she never even saw them. Wow. She'd just be like, hey, like, I don't I don't know what the conversations were, but you know, hey, Steph, go pick up this, this yeah. weed. Like, <laughs> this weed. It was her first charge and they gave her a life sentence. And it's like, really? You're going to say that this That's woman, tough. her whole life has to be thrown away for this? So... And yet somebody that like rapes, rapes someone will get, will get off like so much sooner than that. I don't really know off the top of my head, like the minimum yeah rape charge but it's like are you fucking kidding me yeah i mean i personally i just think that if you're a violent offender you should be in prison and you should be in prison for a while but i don't think that people who are like drug addicts and other stuff you know other crimes that you see like white collar crimes like why are we wasting our money on putting these people in prison it costs a shit ton of money to keep people in prison. The U.S. spends $80 billion on incarceration every year. And it's twenty to 50000 a year per inmate to keep people in prison. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it's like some of these people are just in jail for what? Because they need rehabilitation. Like, let's do that for them instead of just throwing away their life. Yeah, seriously. I mean, have you seen The 13th on Netflix? I haven't finished it. I started watching it, though. <sighs> so me. that, okay, that, I think the documentary came out last year, maybe in 2020. But it's so hard to watch, just like when they see us. Basically, it, it just speaks about how the 13th Amendment was made. So 
The 13th Amendment of the Constitution makes it unlawful for someone to be held as a slave. So this grants freedom to all Americans with the exception of criminals. And that was where they found their their loophole, right? And this amendment is outdated as fuck. We are products of our ancestors' set of choices, right? Like our ancestors' set of choices, different life, different mindsets, different way of living, set in these amendments or, you know, these laws. And we, like years and years and decades later, are like still following these. And it's, I think, really the only way to understand and make change moving forward is to understand that, is to Mm -hmm. understand that all of this is outdated. And this is why it's no longer working for us. This is why it's becoming like completely out of hand. It talks about in the 13th, how Richard Nixon started the war on drugs in the 70s, -hmm. where drug abuse became like public enemy number one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like with increased penalties, enforcement and incarcerations for drug offenders. And then by the early 80s, Reagan came into the picture and his focus on the war on drugs led to a massive increase in incarcerations for nonviolent drug offenses. It went from 50 or yeah, 50,000 in 1980 to 400,000 incarcerated in 1997. Holy um, shit. The Britannica Encyclopedia. Okay. Uh, resourcing that. Yeah, the US has the most people in prison in the world. We're like the fourth of the population. Yeah. We're 13% of the world population and 25% of the jail population. I thought we're not 5% of the population. That's right. I said that wrong. We're 5% of the population. And then it's a whatever fucking number I just said. (laughs) 25%. 25%. And and yeah, 25% are Americans. Yeah. In the land of the free, baby. Right? Seriously. So yeah. And then the whole like the Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 86 created a five-year mandatory minimum sentence for possession of crack cocaine, where under that same act, people arrested for powder cocaine, a.k.a. people that can't afford it, rich people, had to to possess a hundred times more than that to face a five-year mandatory minimum. So it's like we're taking a drug that's the same thing being distributed (laughs) at a lower price, so ease of production and manner of distribution, small quantities sold to just individuals for personal use and made it widely, they made it widely accessible in poor urban communities, which included communities of color. So mm-hmm. really the war on drugs was really the war on communities of color. Mm-hmm. And like, and that has not changed in our justice system at all. So that is why we're seeing, I think the statistic was one in every 17 white men from this documentary will be imprisoned and one in every three black men will be imprisoned. That's a big number. Like, this is not okay. Mm -hmm. It's really sad. I think we can't have this conversation without just talking about police brutality and just the justice system being racist and just Mm -hmm. shit that's gone on recently and has gone on for fucking ever. I read this book. It's really interesting. Like, I don't know what I was expecting. It's called Talking to Strangers, and it's by Malcolm Gladwell. And he, I don't even know how to explain this, but he talks a lot about the police force and like how they were founded and started and like what's wrong with it and the issues. I mean, he's not the one that gave this information ultimately, but I read it in his book that the police force was founded 
to find runaway slaves and like return them to their owners. Like that's why the police force was even formed. Wow. So it literally started with them just like hunting down black people and like bringing them back to their masters. And it's like, this wasn't even that long ago. You know, we're talking about people who's like, this is their great grandparents and stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. so I don't know. There's a lot of fucked up shit that's going on. I feel like you just hear new shit all the time. And I hate that we're like becoming numb to it because we're like just used to it and it just keeps happening. But I don't know. There's there's been a lot of people that are like defund the police defund the police and i'm like no they need more funding like they need to be trained better obviously you're asking them to be social workers essentially and be trained on how to deal with all sorts of people like not from their community like that's what's so interesting about this book is he just talks about like interacting with people that aren't from your community and how you were raised and how you interact with people like And shit gets fucked up when this happens, you know, when it's somebody who's just not familiar with somebody's mannerisms or how they act or whatever. And it's like, at one point, not now, it was really like an honor and a a big thing to like be a police officer. And now they're just like getting shitted on. I'm not saying that all cops are bad, but, you know, these were people that we expected to like protect and serve our community. That's what they're doing. And it's like, what the fuck happened? Exactly. Protect and serve is, I don't see that when I interact with police. And I I love when you said, like, not knowing some of these mannerisms and acting out of fear and not knowing how to act. And that's why we shouldn't defund the police because they need to be trained on these things, not only for people of color, but for people like my son, who may not have the social skills to say what's wrong and not know how to emotionally manage himself. And if somebody, you know, God forbid, you know, if he was an adult and he maybe like got out of the house or something and, you know, was by himself and a cop finds him, you know, do I have to worry that the cop is going to hurt him out of fear because he doesn't know how to interact with him versus somebody knowledgeable to to see and understand this is, you know, someone on the spectrum. I can't just like ask questions. And if he doesn't answer, then I, you know, fucking hold him down or start yelling at him or his ass or something like, yeah, absolutely. They need more training. Mm -hmm. Clearly, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of shit going wrong. It was interesting, too, in the book. He went into just talking about how just quotas, like how police have quotas. Um, A lot of police departments are like, no, we don't have a quota. I mean, I've talked to a few cops. Some of them do, not all departments, but just like he was talking about on a country road, like pulling people over. And it's like, why are you doing this here? This isn't like a high crime area. There's nothing going on here. We don't need an extra police presence. Like, why aren't you guys in the neighborhood where there's shit going on? You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? But then they've also done experience. It's going to take a long time. Like police officers are going to have to get out into these communities that don't fucking trust them anymore and get them to trust them. You know, like that's a huge part of being a police officer is like being involved in the community. Your job is not to just arrest as many people as possible. It's like, when did that change? But then it's like, okay, this was started by chasing slaves. So it's like, in a sense, it was kind of always that way. And again, you know, I'm not trying to sit here and be like, fuck police officers. We don't need them. I'm just saying it's fucked up and things have to change because there's a lot of innocent people getting killed for no reason. Absolutely. What's up, guys? Ellie popping in here for a second. We have a lot more to say about this topic, so we decided to make this a part one and a part two. So in part two, we're going to talk about 
women not being believed, unreliable forensic evidence, official misconduct from police and prosecutors. We talk about, you know, some more well-known cases recently, like the Netflix series Making a Murderer about Stephen Avery. We talk about the Alex Murdaugh trial. We talk about Brittany Griner. We talk about people in jail for cannabis, private prisons, and what the real motive is behind them. And at the end, some ways that you can help because don't talk about it, be about it, yo. We realize this episode is pretty fucking heavy, so that's why we wanted to offer some ways that you can help. Damn, that was a smooth-ass trailer. So, all right, go take a walk. See you guys in the next episode. That's it for another episode of the Fuck the Status Quo podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys like what I'm doing here. If not, then live your life, man. Set yourself free from my voice. I mean, why have you even gotten this far? (laughs) But if you know someone who would enjoy listening to this, please share this episode with them or post it to your story. Or you can go fucking bananas and run around town telling everybody that you run into. And then leave this podcast review because it really helps to get the word out there and help other people find this podcast. So that's it. That's my plug. Be a good person by leaving a review. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you guys in the next one.